I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I wrote a title on the board. It's one of my favorite verses concerning us being spiritual Israel. If we're not spiritual Israel, why is God using all of these Jewish holidays to birth the church, to have a Passover lamb, which is spiritual, which is Christ? And that was the lamb of the Passover. And he's got, the Bible says, we being many are one bread. There was unleavened bread at the spiritual Passover. That's us in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. (coughs) And we are God's Pentecost. Why is it that God birthed the church at a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. That's where he birthed the church. And then we are we are participants in the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement. The word atonement is mentioned one time in the New Testament. It is the word katalage, K-A-T a-L-L-A-G-E. It comes from the verb form katalasso, K-A-T-A-L-A-S-S-O. On the Day of Atonement, you had, you had these three festivals of the Jews. You had Passover, and that was the tenth day of the first month of a seven-day or seven-month period called the Feast of Harvest. It went all the way to to Tishri. Tishri was what we would call September, October. And you had seven months there seven months and at the beginning every month you had a new moon festival now you had this this was Nisan it started with with Nisan Nisan 14 excuse me I put 10th day here no that was the past that was the day of atonement day of atonement well, it was the tenth day of Tishri. This was the fourteenth day of Passover. Passover was our month, March, April. Notice something here. March, April is the beginning of harvest. Harvest. That's where they started harvesting the first fruits. The first fruits to come out was the barley, which came out right at Passover time. The barley and the wheat harvest, which culminated at at 50 days after Passover, and that was called Pentecost. Now, why is it that God is birthing the church at a Jewish Pentecost, if we're not spiritual Israel, it's crazy. Why is it at the 
Passover, God was offering up Jesus, the true Passover lamb. John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. If we are not Jews, what's he doing connecting us and our Passover lamb? The Bible says Jesus in the first Corinthians, the fifth chapter, some years after Jesus is dead, the Bible says Jesus is our Passover crucified for us. If if we're not spiritual Israel, why is it he connects us with all of this? I want to talk to you today about this day of atonement. I'm going to tell you many times how many times it's mentioned. Usually when when the word katalage is mentioned or katalaso, it's it's the word reconciliation. Or reconcile. Reconcile. When you reconcile something, you actually solve the differences between people. The differences. And you ransom someone and bring them back to what they once were. We were babes. We were babies without sin when we're born. With no sin. The wages of sin is death, not the wages of a sin nature. The babies have a sin nature, and when they come to sin, they will sin. But if they die before they come to sin, there's no way they can go to hell. Not true. Paul said, I was alive. He says this in the seventh chapter of Romans. He says, I was alive without Without means outside of, outside of, outside. I was alive outside of the law once. That's when he was a baby. Then he said, sin took occasion, occasion by the commandment and slew me. If Paul had to be slain because of the commandment of God, because of the sin that he committed, that means before he was slain, he was alive. In order to be slain, you have to be alive in order to be killed. So therefore, he was alive, and he said, sin took occasion by the commandments, and killed the old me, the part. So whenever... Whenever we're reconciled back to God, we'll reconcile from our sinful nature, our sinful self. And that's the same thing as ransom. When someone is ransomed, he is a ransom for all his elect. He's not a ransom for everybody in the world. And I want to give you this because the Day of Atonement was in Tishri, September, October, that was connected to, that was the 10th day of Tishri, 10th. And then that was connected to the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Huts. That was, a, that was to remember their time in the wilderness when they lived in tents. That was a mem- memorial when they lived in tents. I want to talk to you some about Tishri and about 
the day of atonement. Why, if we're not spiritual Israel, why is God using all Jewish terminology to define the church and Israel and the birth? The Bible says over here in Galatians, this is where I got the title from of this message. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. I love this. When Paul says in verse 15, excuse me, 6 and 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. Circumcision was a title for the Jews in the first century. Uncircumcision was a title for the Gentiles. He's talking to a Gentile church at Galatia. Actually, he's talking to three churches. He's talking about Galatia, I keep saying this, is not a town. It's a state. There's a difference in this. And if you don't learn this, let me see here. Galatia is a state right here in the middle of what we call Turkey. This is Turkey right here. It's a state right here. It's got Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. That's who he's writing to when he writes the book of Galatians. I said it last message when he was coming back from this journey. Some Judaizers were following him saying, let's go back and circumcise these Gentiles. He said, no, because they wanted to do that because circumcision, washing in water, and two turtle doves was the prescribed sacrifice. This was what a man had to do to come from another state and become a member of the kingdom of God, which was a title for Israel, kingdom of God. So if you wanted to be an Israelite, you had to forsake all your money, your job, your houses, and everything, and come to Israel and go through this until Jesus was crucified, and all that was blotted out. That was a proselyte process invented by the Pharisees. That's why Jesus was washed in water, so they would have to listen to him. Now... Then he says here in verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision abateth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new new creation, a new creature. We are new creatures in Christ. The vessels of wrath have never been new creatures. They will be chaos totally through eternity. And as many as walk according to this Rule, which rule? A new creation. Peace be upon them and mercy upon the Israel of God. God's Israel is his new creation. New creation, the Bible says, equals spiritual Israel. That is some. That is a verse that it does not need any qualifications. We are spiritual Israel. Whether anybody likes that or not. Now, what I want us to do is, I want us to go over here to Luke 11. I want to try to explain this the best I can. Luke 11. This has to do with 
the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, the best description of it, is in Leviticus 16. And Leviticus 16 has a chapter in the New Testament that is very parallel, and that is the 11th chapter of Luke. It tells you all about the scapegoat. They had on the day of the Day of Atonement, you can read all about it. Let me erase some of this. Can't keep writing about erasing it. I'm going to erase this title. Tom can take that down. All right. The Day of Atonement is in the 16th chapter of Leviticus. It's referred to from time to time, but it keeps gives a complete description in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. It equals Luke, the 11th chapter, or what happens in the 11th chapter. What they would do on the Day of Atonement, they would come to the temple, and they would have two goats, not lambs, two goats on the Day of Atonement. They would kill one, they would put their hands, they would draw straws or cast lots on these two lambs, or these two goats. They would drive one of them out into the wilderness. We don't know exactly what happened to them. There's all kinds of opinions by a lot of people. Some say when they would put the hands upon this goat, that they would transfer the sins of the people. Of course, we know that the blood of bulls and goats do not take away sin according to the 10th chapter of Hebrews. But they put their hands upon the head of goats, symbolic of laying the sins of the people upon him. This was called the scapegoat. Scapegoat is mentioned four times in the Bible. It's the word A-Z-A-Z-E-L. Azazel is a term for the devil among the Jews, the devil. And the word goat is the word S-I-Y-R. Every time you find the word goat in the Old Testament, it's the word seer. And seer, when it was translated in the Septuagint, LXX stands for 70. They had 70 translators translate the Old Testament Hebrew. This was around 200 B.C. Alexander the Great had ruled back around 3 33 B.C. to uh, around 220, uh, 320 B.C. approximately. And then he died. He was killed, it's believed, by one of his generals. And by the time you get to 200 B.C., Alexander the Great had given all of the world all of its glossa, which means Greek, foreign languages, and all of its dialectos, D-I-A-L-E-K-T-O-S. 
they had a different dialect of the common, the Koine, Greek language in every city-state. He gave the world all of that. When they get to 200 B.C., these brilliant scholars are getting together saying, we need to translate the Old Testament scriptures into Greek text. And when they did that, that is considered, that's called Septuagint. S-E-P-T-U-I-G-I-N-T. And it'll always be represented by L-X-X. That is 70 in Roman numerals. So anytime you see L-X-X, that means Septuagint. When the Septuagint was translated, they translated everything into Greek that they had all this and they gave the world the Greek languages so that by 200 B.C. they said we got to translate all this into the Greek text. And the best scholars say that the Septuagint is the best of all translations, the closest to being exact. So when you get over here, I want us to look at something. I never heard anybody, never heard any preacher that understood this. So when we get over here into the 11th chapter of Luke, he describes the scapegoat. They would they would send this scapegoat out in, into the wilderness. He was not allowed to come back. If he came back, he was bringing his sin with him. Sin. They believe he was taken out into the wilderness and thrown off of a cliff to kill him or keep him in the wilderness till he died of hunger or thirst. That was like that picture of us. They had one other goat. He was the goat that was sacrificed on the Ark of the Covenant. Once a year, the high priest would come in. He would kill the goat. When the Bible says God hath made Jesus to be sin for us, You can say God made him to be the goat in our place because goats are considered evil or wicked in some sense. Jesus is going to say to the sheep on the right hand at the judgment, enter ye in the well done, good and faithful servant, enter ye in the joys of thy Lord. And to the goats on the left hand, he's going to depart, say, depart me the work iniquity. So they kill the goat. On the Ark of the Covenant, on this brazen altar, brazen altar. And the priest, whenever they would kill the goat, they would, anytime they offer their daily sacrifices, they would wash at the brazen sea every morning. Then as they would go off for a sacrifice, they'd come back and wash their hands and their feet and their feet. Then, The high priest would come and come into the outer sanctuary. He would have to bypass the the candlesticks, the seven candlesticks, and he would walk past this table of showbread and walk by this. And this was a process. He would come in and take this. He would take incense from this altar of incense. These were made... The inner furniture was made of beaten gold. And he would, he would come in here 
and through the process he would take this this incense from this altar of incense and he would that represented the prayers of the saints according to the book of revelation the fourth chapter and other chapters that was the prayers of the saints and he would take this incense and he would take a was like a like a like a little dipper of some kind and it was made of solid gold and he would take coals off of this altar come in here and sprinkle it upon this upon this this uh, unit here and it would begin to smoke up he'd have coals from the altar and it was a bit particular type of incense you remember when uh, Aaron the first high priest of the temple he was Moses older brother even though he was Moses older brother Moses could not do the work of a high priest they came from the same father but would only be sons of Aaron that could be a high priest in the Old Testament and he, if you remember, he had four sons, Nadab, Abihu, or Abihu, however you want to pronounce it, Ithamar, and Eliezer. And these were four, four sons, Nadab and Abihu, in Leviticus, the 10th chapter, God struck them both dead because they offered strange fire on the altar of God. We don't know what it was. There had to be an exact formula for that incense. One of the things in the incense was... Uh, was an incense that it was called Lebanon. It was a white L-E-B-A-N-A-H. And Lebanon means white. It was a white powder. That was also one of the names for moon. Moon means white. I've got a theory on that. I won't go into. But they had the get the fire from this altar right here to offer this incense. We don't know what Nadab and Abihu did. They might have gotten the wrong formula for the... It was actually frankincense. Frankincense was the Lebanon that was on this altar. And it could have been the wrong formula for that was on here, or they could have got the they could have said, "Well, here's a fire that's closer. We could take the fire from the candlesticks, or they could have done something wrong in this whole process. God killed them and struck them dead. That left Ithamar and Eleazar. They had twenty four sons between them. That is the 24 elders of, that was the 24 elders of the, uh, 
uh, in the Revelation, the fourth chapter, you find those 24 elders in 1 Corinthians. I'm not 1 Corinthians. <laughs> the first 24 elders in 1 Chronicles. The 24th chapter. In fact, let me show you that because that's very interesting to know. And the 24th chapter, let's look at it real quick. of 1 Chronicles. And these are the two surviving sons of Aaron. You had to be a descendant of Aaron to be a high priest. All there is to it. You couldn't be one otherwise. So when you go over here to First Chronicles, the 24th chapter, 24, and we'll read this. And these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. God struck them dead. They did something in offering that incense. The reason they offered the incense, they took it, they took this golden censer and they brought it inside the veil and they put it, some say they put it between the two cherubim on the end and what it did this incense began to smoke and it filled up the entire inner chamber if you saw God as he came down and sat down upon the throne the high priest was instructed do not lift your eyes up God will strike you dead it's that simple if one of them got struck dead, it's believed that they tied a rope around their foot so they could drag him out. And then when they drug him out and he was dead, they'd go to one of the sons of Ithamar and Elias and say, You're next, son. Ooh, don't think I'd like that at all. Anyway, they drag him out and then they call. So anytime you find high priests... From then on, all through the Old Testament, it will either be a son of Ithamar or a descendant of Eliezer. Be one of these two. When you find that Eli was the high priest in First Samuel, that first and second chapter, he was a descendant of one of these. When you find that Ezra was a high priest, the one who was, who it was said that he correlated the Old Testament, he's a descendant of one of these. Any high priest you find all through the Old Testament, he comes from one of these. That's very important to know. And then look at, look at here in 24th chapter. Nadab and Abihu died before their father. You can look at that in Leviticus 10, where God killed them. 10 and 1. Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Therefore, Eliezer and Ithamar executed the priest's office, the high priest. Everybody was a priest or a descendant of Levi, but you had to be a descendant of Aaron to be a high priest. And David distributed them both, Zadok of the sons of Eliezer and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar. 
Why did David end up with two high priests? Does anybody remember that? That's because when Saul was king of Israel, his high priest was Zadok. And then David becomes king, and he appoints Abiathar. points of Beathor. So when Saul is killed, that doesn't eliminate Zadok from being a high priest. He's still a high priest. So David incorporates Abiathar and Zadok to be high priest together. That's amazing. But remember when when Adonijah decides to ascend the throne of David. Adonijah in First Kings, the first chapter. And David is very sick, and that's when they go out and find that young woman, Abishag, to warm his body up, but she can't because he's just dying. And Adonijah is... He has. He gets in a chariot, takes off through the streets of Jerusalem, and say, "Adonijah reigneth." Oh me! And he's got fifty men running before his church, and that's what they did with a new king. And he has no permission from David to be the new king because David has promised Solomon will be the new king. He will take my place. And Solomon's mother Bathsheba. And Nathan the prophet go to David and say, David, Adonijah, your fourth-born son, is out there running through the streets saying he reigns as king. You promised Solomon would be your new king. So David says, bring me the high priest. Bring Zadok to me. There's only one problem. Abiathar had defected and gone to Adonijah's side. Ooh, that's the wrong thing to do. And Solomon is made king by his father, and they start shouting, God save King Solomon. Adonijah said, oh, what have I done? He didn't have any permission to be king. Solomon was one of the, he just tried to assume the throne just like Absalom did over there in Second Samuel. Anyway, let's get back to this. Knowing these guys in the Old Testament is everything. These guys in the Old Testament, a lot of them are my friends and acquaintances. Eliezer and Ithamar are my friends and acquaintances. Some of them are my enemies. Then he says, David distributed them both, Zadok, the sons of Eleazar, and Ahimelech, the son of Ithamar. Do you remember who Ahimelech was? That was the high priest when Solomon, Solomon, when Saul was chasing David and trying to kill him. And David went to the the city of the priesthood right above Jerusalem. I believe it was called Nob. 
And David went to Ahimelech running from Solomon, or running from Saul, and said, I need something to eat. And Saul, I'll get it right in a minute. And Ahimelech gave David food, and he also gave David the sword of Goliath, who had killed over there in that 18th chapter of 1st, in the 17th chapter, I'll get it in a minute. 17th chapter of 1st Samuel, he'd killed Goliath. So Ahimelech turns out to be on David's side and when and when uh, Saul is chasing David everywhere he asks all these questions and finds out he's at the place of the high priest and he comes to Ahimelech and he said you fed my enemy David see Saul thinks that David has stolen his throne. And it wasn't David had stolen his throne. God appointed David to be the king because Saul had not kept the statutes of the Lord. He did not do with the things that God said from the, from the 14th, from the 11th chapter through the 15th chapter. He hadn't done the will of God. And so Samuel comes to Saul and says, Your day is over. It's done. You're through. God has told me to go down to southern Judah. He's chosen a king among his sons, and he goes down there, and and God reveals David to him, the eighth son of Jesse. Well, when Saul is chasing David, he catches up to him. He doesn't catch up to him. He comes to Ahimelech, the high priest of Israel, David's choice of high priest. It was David's choice. Ahimelech was a good man. And that day, Doeg, Saul tells all of his army, he tells his army, fall upon these high priests and kill them all. Now, kill the high priest? Are you out of your mind, King Saul? We're not going to do that. His own army said, no. These are righteous men of God. We can't do that. And there was a man there. He was an Edomite. His name was Doeg. Doeg. He had no principle whatsoever. He said, I will kill them. Saul said, good, go to it. He took his men, fell upon these high priests, and killed 85 of the high priests of God. Eighty-five of them, righteous men, and one got away. Abiathar. That's why God put him in charge. God had David make him a surviving high priest. And he was good until David starts to die in that first chapter of 1 Kings. And he defects and goes to the side of Adonijah. That's the only reason that David, that's, I'll get it right in a minute. That's the only reason that Solomon didn't have Abiathar killed. He said, your day as a high priest is over. I'm not going to have you killed because you are a priest of God. But he had everybody else killed that defected from him. He had Adonijah killed. He had the Shimei, the guy that was turning on David, had him killed. 
had everybody killed that was David's enemy. Solomon cleaned up David's enemies. But that's where Beathar comes from. He is the son of Ahimelech. He's the one He's the one that escaped. And he's the one that turned on David. So in the end, Zadok, who had been the priest of Saul, he ended up being David's high priest, Zadok. So you got here. It says here in verse 3, And David distributed them both Zadok of the sons of Eleazar, Oh, there's Zadok was a descendant of Eleazar. And Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar. The Ithamar and Eleazar are the two surviving sons of Aaron. Everybody had to come out of one of them. And then he says, according to their offices and their services, and there were more chief men found of the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ithamar. Thus were they divided according to the sons of Eleazar there were 16 men of the house of their fathers and 8 among the sons of Ithamar 16 and 8 or 24 that's 24 high priests then when you go over here to Revelation the 4th chapter Revelation the 4th chapter I didn't mean to get into this, but I eventually get to it anyway. Revelation, the fourth chapter. This is very figurative language here. You can't understand it unless you know about these 24 sons of Bethlehem and Eliezer. And then he says here in the fourth chapter of Revelation, he talks about I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Heaven is a term for Israel or kingdom of heaven. In heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Trumpets are voices that tell you if you attack. They tell you if you go to sleep. It's taps to go to sleep. Trumpets are voices. They tell the men what to do. A trumpet talking with me. Oh, a trumpet's talking. Which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in Israel. What was the throne in Israel? Where did God sit on a throne? The Ark of the Covenant. He came down out of the fiery cloud, out of the cloud by day and a fire by night, and sat upon that throne. And this inner sanctuary was called the house of God. The New Testament picture of that is us. Christ is a son of his own house. Whose house are we? And then he says, And he that sat to look on was like Jasper. Oh, let me get back to verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. That's the Ark of the Covenant. Anytime you find throne all the way through the book of Revelation, it's the Ark of the Covenant. And it's not literal anymore because all that's brought it out. It's now our hearts. 
because he's written on fleshy tables of our hearts. He wrote on tables of stone and kept it signed, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled, now our hearts are sprinkled with the blood of Christ. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne. A rainbow is the word I R I S. The iris of the eye is that wheel in a wheel around the side of the eye. And Israel is the apple of my eye. Apple is the word Baal. It means pupil. That's where the light goes in. Not going to say any more about that. Too much to say about it. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats around this throne of God. Well, four and twenty seats, and I saw four and twenty elders, sons of Aaron, Ithamar, and Eleazar, sitting and clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. That has to be the high priest because of the crowns of gold. When you go to Exodus, when you go over to Leviticus, 8 and 9. Leviticus 8 and 9. You're going to see these crowns of gold. Leviticus 8. talking about the crowns upon the heads of the high priest and he put the mitre upon his head and also upon the mitre even upon the forefront did he put a golden plate the holy crown the Lord commanded and he talks about this in Exodus 28 Exodus 28 Exodus 28 and it has to be the high priest because of what he says in Exodus 28. Exodus 28. Hold on a second here. 28 and 36. 28 and 36. He's talking about the close of the high priest. He says earlier than that, they've got on robes with bells on the bottom of the robes. The bells on the bottom of the robes of the high priest was so that if the high priest went in there as long as those bells were ringing, everything was okay. When the bells stopped ringing, God had struck one of them dead. And they took that as a signal to drag them out. So they had bells. In verse 33, upon the hem of it, these garments of the high priest, 
shall make a pomegranate of blue and purple and scarlet and round about the hem there were bells of gold between and round about this is verse 34 a golden this we're in 28th chapter of exodus a golden bell and a pomegranate a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe round about and it shall be upon aaron to minister and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in to the holy place before the lord and when he cometh out that he die not those bells better start keep ringing on the bottom of his robe and thou shalt make a plate of pure gold and grave upon it like the engravings of a signet holiness to the lord these are going to be golden crowns upon their heads. It's not the crowns of Nimrod with gold and silver and, and diamonds in it. And thou shalt put on the put it on the blue lace that it may be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre. Shall it be in it shall be upon Aaron's forehead a crown, a gold crown. That Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts, and it shall be always upon his forehead or upon his son's foreheads, that they may be accepted before the Lord. Now go back over here to Revelation 4. And all this has to be going on as they're performing these things going into the temple or into the sanctuary and then he says they had heads on their heads crowns of gold so when Jesus comes according to the seventh chapter of Hebrews the not only is the tithe transferred the tithe is transferred from these priests over here to the high priest. The new priest is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The word order is the word taxes. It comes from the word tasso. That's the word used in Acts 13, 48. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And taxes means a fixed succession of events or people. If you go into a lodge, you'll see high potentate of 1929. This is the head of the lodge. High potentate of 1930. 1931 that was an office Jesus was a priest forever after the office let me say let me say this about high priests you cannot offer any sacrifice one into the Bible or the other without being a priest so when when Abel, when Abel offered more excellent sacrifice than Cain. He offered a blood sacrifice. Abel had to get the sacrifice from his father Adam. 
And who was the first high priest in the Bible? Jesus is a priest forever. The first, who was the, what was the first sacrifice in the Bible? Huh? I can't hear you. What's the first sacrifice in the Bible? That's right, in the garden. The first one was when God killed an animal to cover their nakedness. I believe he killed a lamb. And he covered their nakedness. They went out and covered themselves with the works of their hands. They covered themselves with fig leaves. God says, that's not good enough. I've got to kill this sacrifice. So if God killed the sacrifice, that was Jesus forever. He was the first high priest. Then when the Aaronic priesthood was eliminated, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, blotting out the, all the rituals of here. And that's the cessation of the Aaronic priesthood. Of the Aaronic priesthood, enter the priest of God, the order of Melchizedek. So he resumes here, and he was the first high priest over here in the garden offering a sacrifice for the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Their sin required a blood sacrifice. Remember, baptism meant to cover with a stain or die. That was what the first baptism was in the garden. You know what? This seems complex, but it's not. It's pretty simple. All you got to do is look at things from a simple viewpoint. And then he says, and the funny thing about this. If you go down here into verse 10 of chapter 4 of Revelation, the four and twenty elders fell down, fall down before him that sits upon the throne. That's Jesus, the new high priest, that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns. People say, we're going to cast our crowns at the foot of Jesus. You're not going to have any. (laughs) This is talking about you're going to have to be a high priest. What they're doing, I'll use one of my favorite big words, but I'll tell you what it means. They were acquiescing. Acquiesce means to gently submit to the priesthood of Jesus. When they're casting their crowns before him, they're saying, we cannot interpret this law written on fleshy tables of the heart. Only you can do that. So that's what they're doing. They're giving up the priesthood. This is all figurative language. It doesn't mean there's some literal 24 priests that throw in literal crowns. It means this is a picture of what they're doing. They're giving it all up to Christ. And worship, the 24 elders fell down at him and worshiped him forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Only you are worthy, Jesus, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. That was Jesus. 
So that's the transfer. Then you back up here to verse 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. We don't know what that was. Out of this throne, the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat was on top of that. That was the throne of God. And the lightnings and thunders, we don't have any way of knowing what that was. And then he says, Out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before or in front of the throne, right here. The seven candlesticks. When in the New Testament, the seven candlesticks is the seven churches of Asia. Seven churches. So you can equate that with the candlesticks there. I I could sit and talk about that for hours, but I don't have time to. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. That's what he said in verse 20 of the first chapter. He sees Jesus standing in the midst of seven candlesticks. And he says in verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars in the right hand of Christ, which thou sawest in his right hand, the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angelos, the messengers of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. So when the seven candlesticks are over here, that's the picture of the church. Why is God, if we're not spiritual Israel, why is God taking a menorah and representing it as a New Testament church if we're not spiritual Israel? It doesn't make any sense to me. All these preachers say, well, Israel is Israel and the church is the church. No, you ignoramuses. Church, ecclesia, means called out. We're called out of this world to live righteously. They were called out of Egypt to come through the wilderness and go to the promised land, which was called the rest of God, or his Sabbath. Now, then he says, So before the throne was seven candlesticks. What this is describing is, if, if that's not Jewishness, I don't know what it is. That's crazy to say we're not spiritual Israel. So the seven candlesticks, which is the seven churches of Asia, the candlesticks are equated with the church. Do you get that, preachers? That's Jewish. Man, you know, this seems real simple when you know where to go with it all. And before the throne, or in front of the throne was a sea of glass. If you don't go back to Exodus, the 38th chapter, you're going to have no idea what that's talking about. Exodus, the 38th chapter. Moses tells all the women in Israel, they didn't have glasses like we have glasses. That's got the black on the back of it that reflects our image. They had polished brass I saw one of these in I remember seeing the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston years ago and he went into the palace of Nefertari she was looking at her face in one of those bronze glasses they didn't a clear it wasn't a clear image but it was an image of her she's putting on her makeup 
And he says here in the 38th chapter, in the 38th chapter of, well, I'll get it in a minute. I've flipped too far. In the 38th chapter, verse 8. He's talking about making the staves for the carry the instruments. And he made the labor. The labor was when they first come out of out of bondage, they just had a little labor. And that's all they needed was for four priests, especially for three priests to ride on, to cleanse themselves on. Ithamar, Eliezer, and Aaron could wash in that. When they got into Israel, they had to build the sea. It had 2,000 baths in it. You can find the sea in First Kings, the seventh chapter. That was the sea. We've got the picture of the sea over here. They had to build it to a sea because they could not keep on. Let me see. I'll get a minute. There it is right there. There's the sea that they built after they come out. And everybody inside that temple proper had to be Levites. Nobody was in there but the Levites. And the only ones that could go into the Holy of Holies on the tenth day of the seventh month was a high priest or a descendant of Ithamar and Eliezer. And then he says here in verse 8, of the 38th chapter of Exodus, he made the labor of brass and the foot of it of brass and of the looking glasses of the women assembling. That's what was called the glassy sea. It wasn't some mysterious thing in heaven that we've never heard of or thought of. God didn't give us some mystery that we couldn't figure out. Assembling which which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He said, you women, bring your looking glasses. We'll call this the glassy sea. It's not as mysterious as all these prophecy teachers call it or make it. Now let's go back over there to Revelation, the fourth chapter. Verse 6. Now I'm painting all this so I can get into this 11th chapter of Luke, how much time do I have, Mike? 34. Maybe I can get to it. And back to verse 6 of chapter 4 of Revelation. Before the throne there was a sea of glass. Now we know why it's called a glassy sea. Like unto crystal in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Full of eyes means intelligent. There's four beasts. Well, let's go ahead and read what they're like. First, like a lion. This is the covenant that was given to Noah when he came out of the ark. He was given a covenant that to the beast of the field, the head, the king of the beast was the lion. The second, like a calf, or that would be a small bull. 
or an ox. That was the second thing that Noah was given covenant to. The third beast was the face of a man to Noah. We're going to make the covenant to you. And the fourth, like a flying eagle to the fowl of the air. That's the four that you find in the ninth chapter of Genesis that God made with these animals when he come out of the ark. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes, very intelligent. I can't get into the four beasts. That's that's about ten days of teaching, saying, Holy, holy, holy. That is the triune Godhead, Godhead in Trinity. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. When these beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, that's when the 24 elders of the sons of Ithamar and Eliezer cast their their gold crowns at the feet of him that sits upon the throne and says, Now you are the high priest of us all. I would like to go, I don't have time to do it, but I would like to go into, from this point, to go into uh, some other things concerning these. You'd have to go to Ezekiel, the first chapter, Ezekiel, the tenth chapter, and they had around the throne four beasts. They had two woven into that curtain, one on each end, and that was an that was a lion, an ox, man, an eagle. That's who God made his covenant with when Noah came out of the ark to the beast of the field, the cattle, the king of the cattle, the ox, to man, and to the fowl of the air. When you find these four, you find the promise of the covenant of God to his people. Now, there's so much to talk about this. It's just amazing. Now, let's go back to the 11th chapter of Luke. So on this day of atonement, they would kill this lamb on the altar while they drove the one into the wilderness hoping to, for him to die. He could not come back. He would bring the sins of the people with him. So they had to see to it that he died in the wilderness. That's the scapegoat. The Azazel, which was an old ancient term for Satan. Now, now let's go back to the 11th chapter of Luke. 11th chapter of Luke. This is a picture of the scapegoat. Do I have any time, Mike? 30. 30. Okay. The 11th chapter. Why would God have Jesus illustrate the scapegoat to Christians at the time of his living upon the earth if this is not, if he didn't come for us? He is our Passover lamb. The new birth of the church was at Pentecost, a Jewish holiday. Pentecost comes from Pent, 
which means five. Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover. 50 days. Pentecost was called the Feast of First Fruits or the Feast of Harvest because you're into early summer and most of the first fruits have been harvested now. He says here in Jesus is speaking in the 11th chapter and he says this is where the Pharisees are confronting him. Let's read earlier in this in verse 14. He was casting out the devil and it was dumb and it came to pass when the devil was gone out the dumb spake and the people wondered but some of them said he cast out devils through Beelzebub the chief of devils that's what this that's what the Pharisees are saying about Jesus others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven if you're going to do all these miracles give us a sign and he knowing their thoughts said unto them Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. If I'm casting out devils by Beelzebub, I'm trying to destroy my own kingdom. And a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub, through the devil himself. Beelzebub was another name for the devil or Satan. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do you sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is coming to you. I've got to erase some of this. What does God do with his finger? Well, he writes upon fleshy tables of our hearts, just like he wrote on tables of stone. Let's look at a couple of those places. Look here. Let's look at this. If I were the finger of God cast out devils, let's look at the finger of God, what he does in Deuteronomy 9. Deuteronomy 9. Back over here to Deuteronomy. Here's what he does with his finger. Deuteronomy 9. Understanding the Bible isn't so hard if you read all of it, all the Old Testament. It's not hard to understand. He'll tell you what he does with his finger right here in Deuteronomy 9 and 10. The Lord delivered unto me, this is Moses talking, two tables of stone written with the finger of God. That's the, that's the stone that he kept inside the Ark of the Covenant. And on them was written according to all the words 
which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of assembly. Now look here at Exodus 24 and 12. Exodus 24 and 12. Exodus 24 and 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. I wrote them upon tables of stone. And then look here in Exodus 31 and the 31 and 18. 31 and 18. This is what he does with his finger. And 18. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him, upon Mount Sinai two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. Now let's look back over there at that verse and let's read it one more time. In Luke 11, what, how does the kingdom of God come into our lives? If you can find anything that is expressing the same thing, you can substitute that for it. Look at Luke 11 one more time. If I with the finger of God cast out devils, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Kingdom of God was a term for Israel. You can look in McClinic and Strong, look up kingdom of God, and it'll say kingdom of God or of heaven. It'll tell you that kingdom of Christ, kingdom of God, and kingdom of David, kingdom of heaven or kingdom or heaven are all synonymous. Why did they change it from kingdom of God to kingdom of heaven? Kingdom of God, the Jews said, we don't want to bring reproach on the word of God. So they started calling it kingdom of heaven or kingdom of G-D. They wanted to keep it disguised. That was a Pharisee idea. So, he says here, if I, kingdom of God was a term for Israel. Why was it a term for Israel? Because God was their king. You can look here. If God was the kingdom of Israel of the Old Testament, then was God the king of the Jews? God is kingdom king of Israel. Well, wasn't Jesus called king of the Jews? King of Jews. Well, let's see if we can find if God is their king in the Old Testament. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see him that day, and he saw it. And the Pharisees said, you're not even 50 years old. You saw Abraham. He said, before before Abraham was, I am. To say I am is to say, I am God. 
Am is a form of the verb to be. Jehovah means self-existent. To be means to exist. God said, I am a being because I exist of myself. Now, look over here at... Where was I going to take you to? Let me give you where God wrote upon our hearts. Look here in in Hebrews. Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. The, the second Corinthians, the third chapter. Second Corinthians, chapter three. I'll try to get through this as quick as I can. Second Corinthians three, verse three. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, with the Spirit, with the truth. The Holy Spirit writes upon our hearts. That equates with writing upon tables of stone. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. There's two handwritings. One on tables of stone. One on fleshy tables of our heart. Well, God's not going to blot out the one on our heart. He blotted out the one on stone. But the law is still here. Only the rituals were blotted out. I don't know why nobody else can see that. And then he says, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. He's done all this. And look here in Hebrews. Look here in Hebrews. The the eighth chapter. Hebrews 8. He says this over and over again. He's talking about the church here. The New Testament church in Hebrews 8. Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts with his finger. And be unto them a God, and they shall be to me a people. That's the New Testament Israel, the New Testament church. says the same thing over here in the 10th chapter of Hebrews. This is the covenant, verse 16, that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them. That's what he does with his finger. That's when Israel comes to us. It comes to us. And he says that all. Let me show you something else that's an equivalent. Look at, look at Romans 5. Romans 5. This is the same thing as writing it in our hearts. Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 5, Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. That word love is agape. Agape is walking after the commandments of God, Second John 6. This is agape, that we walk after His commandments. Six, the agape was shed abroad in our hearts. Shed abroad, E-K-O-E-C-E-K-C-H-E-O. Means to gush. Gush out like a river. God has put His truth in our hearts. Anywhere you can find it, it's the same word that God would pour out of His Spirit 
of his truth, his spirit. On all flesh, red, yellow, white, red, yellow, white, black, and brown flesh, he would pour out of his spirit, that's his truth, upon the church. I don't know why preachers can't see these things. I can see them. And preachers act dumb. They just act stupid. And anywhere you find something like that, that's what it's talking about now. Let's go back over here to Leviticus, I mean to Luke 11. And you've got to keep in mind the scapegoat and the goat that was offered. When the Bible says God has made him to be sin, in our place he's talking about that. He's talking, this is all Jewishness. You don't understand that Revelation is Jewish? And all the, we're talking about a bunch of Jews and we're not, and they're just bringing us into the kingdom without being in Israel. They're talking about this on the Day of Atonement. One time, the high priest would take the goat blood one time a year he would enter into the Holy of Holies called the house of God. Let me I remind you, Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we? We're the Holy of Holies. The law is written on fleshy tables of our hearts. In Hebrews 10.22, our hearts are sprinkled. Where the, ark, where the law is written on tables of our hearts, our hearts are sprinkled. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant is sprinkled. You mean we've got the same exact duplicate spiritually and we're not spiritual Israel? I, I can't believe the preachers in America. If they study spiritual Israel, the Bible opens up. I hope you all see this because it's just not even hard to see. Now, the scapegoat was driven out here into the wilderness. Let's look at Luke 11. It expresses it completely in Luke 11. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils... Now, Matthew puts this a little different. He said, if I with the Spirit of God cast out devils in Matthew 12... Here's here's the way Matthew puts it. Talking about the same man. What Jesus was doing was converting him. Here's the way Matthew says it. Matthew 12 and verse... In verse... 28, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is truth, aletheia, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A is the word spirit. And it comes from lanthano. Here's how God casts out devils out of our hearts. Lanthano means to hide or conceal, to lie hid. The alpha in front of a word as a negative particle negates the word. It means not to hide anything. God puts it in the hearts of all believers not to hide anything, to say it like it is. 
You don't beat around the bush when you're a believer. You say, look, this is what the Bible says. You deal with it. You don't believe in predestination. You don't believe God. You don't believe Christmas is Christ's mass and that it was against the law to celebrate it 300 years ago in America. You don't believe God. He said, if I cast up devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. He says that the Spirit casts out devils. That's when God sheds abroad in our hearts the truth. And with his finger he casts out devils because he rides upon pleasure tables of our heart. You know what that is? That's the new birth. That's when the kingdom of God comes to us. When we're born again by the will of God. Back over here to Luke 11. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace. That's talking about us. We're the strong men. Forcible, valiant is chorus is the word. I-S-C-H-O-R-O-S. I-S-C-H-O-R-O-S. That's the strong man. The vigilant man. That's the that's the fleshly man that's strong in the flesh and he's going to rebel against God. When a strong man armed keeps his palace, that's his body here. His goods are in peace as long as he can take care of it. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him, that's Christ. That's Christ to stronger than us. And overcome him. Overcome. Remember, every time you find the word is nikao, N-I-K-A-O. And it comes from N-I-K-E, which is the word victory. And faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Anytime you see overcome, he's talking about faith and victory. He taketh from him all of his armor. What is our armor? Our cars, our houses, our stuff, our things, our money, everything we want to hold on to. Wherein he trusted and divides his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scatters abroad. When the unclean spirit or the strong man is gone out of a man, this is the same thing as driving this scapegoat out here. And they drove it out into the wilderness where there was no no water. Wanting it to die because it had upon its head the sins of the people. When the unclean spirit, you can read this and read the twenty, the 16th chapter of Leviticus, and you'll see the scapegoat, the other goat. When the unclean spirit, or the unclean spirit is a demon, isn't it? Jesus came across a man with an unclean spirit and marked the first chapter, a katharos, A-K-A-T-H-A-R-O-S, unclean spirit, in Mark 1, Mark 1, and it, the same man is described in Luke 4 as having an unclean mm-hmm. 
devil. That word devil is D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. So you could substitute demon. Demonion is our word demon, meaning to distribute fortunes. So when the unclean spirit or the demon self is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places just like the scapegoat. He goes out here. There's no water. You know what there's none of? There's no living water. Where the scapegoat is driven. That is a picture of no living water, which is the Holy Spirit. There's no living water. And he walketh through dry places seeking rest. Seeking kataposis or anaposis. Which means to rest, to pause up, to take a break. He's looking for a place to break, but he has none because he's driven into the wilderness. And he saith, I will return unto my house. I go back to the temple of God and take the sins with me. That's when you're returned to your sin. And it's a lot worse when you return to it. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. This old man, he's, he's cleaned up now. But he wasn't clean. He went off to his sin again when the sins come back. That's why they had to make sure the scapegoat died out in the wilderness. It's a picture of us. And when he goeth out, he taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. That's why the scapegoat wasn't allowed to go back. He had to step. This is a New Testament picture of the scapegoat right here. This is you and I. This reminds me of Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews 6. If I have time, I'll get to that. Seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. They didn't allow the scapegoat to come back. They killed, made sure it died in the wilderness. Reminds me of Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews. How much time do I have, Mike? Seven. Seven. Maybe I can just give you a little short picture of this. You have to know what this is all about. Hebrews 6. I love this chapter. It's talking about Hebrews, the fifth chapter. <laughs> it's talking about Christ learned the things, learned obedience through what, the things which he suffered in verse 8 of chapter 5. And being made perfect or teleos, complete or mature, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Uh, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek of whom we have many things to say hard to under, be uttered and seeing you are dull of hearing dull of hearing means you're stupid you won't listen and when for the time 
you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teachers and teaching people, and you haven't grown up. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles, the oracles of God, and are become such as have need milk and not of strong meat. You need to be put on milk because you're babies. You're not stereos. Stereos is the word strong. S-T-E-R-E-O-S. Looks like stereos. Stereos. Stiff meat. You can't eat beef steak. So you got to get back and drink milk. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of God. For he's a babe. Nothing wrong with being a baby, but you got to grow up. If you stay unlearned, you've got to read your Bible. When I started reading my Bible, I was about 16, 17. And I'd read and I'd quit and I'd read and I'd quit and I'd read and I'd quit and I'd read and I'd quit. Have you ever done that? <laughs> Trying to make yourself read. I kept on reading, forcing myself to read till things started to come together. It doesn't come together because you've been reading a week. Don't expect that. Listen to a teacher like me and you'll learn. I don't mean that to boast. I've spent 67 years studying the Bible. I'm not new at this. I'm 83. Goodness gracious. I had people come here and say, we're going to study the Bible at home. You can't study at home and learn what you can learn here. You actually think you can go through all this that I went through tonight at home? Oh, maybe in 40 years at home, maybe 50 or 60. But strong mates, Tereos, belong to those who are of full age. Teleos is the word full age. Same word as perfect. Be you therefore perfect. T-E-L-E-I-O-S. Mature. You got to be grown to eat beef steak. You can't be a baby eating beef steak. And then he says, therefore, there's a conjunction. Therefore means what has been said is dependent on, what is going to be said is dependent on what has been said. There's no such thing as chapter 6, Hebrews 6 and 1. That's not in there. Everything was in scrolls that rolled it out. And then he says, if you don't leave the principles of the doctrine of faith and go on unto perfection, it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift of the Holy Spirit and made partakers of the Holy Ghost, which is the same thing as Holy Spirit, which is truth, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they fall away. Parapipto. There's another word that's a synonym for falling away. Para. P-I-P-T-O. If they apostatize and they quit following Christ, it's impossible if they fall away to renew them again unto repentance, saying they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Only believers can put Christ to an open shame. If you're going along here and you decide to get out here and sin and then God deals you the heart to come back and get back on the road again, all that is shame you put Christ to in. 
I've got to live with that in my life. You cannot have have repentance brand new like it was before you fell. That's what he's saying. To renew it, you can't renew it. I'd like to get rid of all those years of sin that I was out there acting like a fool. And that's what that reminds me of, that it's seven times worse for the scapegoat that comes back. You're acting like a scapegoat when you want to go back to your sin. There in Hebrews, the sixth chapter. They would not let the scapegoat come back. They'd kill it. They'd get it out in there in the desert and... There was no living water right there. That's what that verse is talking You mean, God gives us an illustration of... He gives us an illustration of the scapegoat in a New Testament chapter of Luke, and Jesus gives that to us, and he's... And the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration for God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness to the believer... The scapegoat in the Old Testament is profitable to us because Christ relates it in the 11th chapter of Luke. It's amazing how much of this comes together like like that. I don't know why no other preachers see this. I see it. I don't know why they don't see it. They're just ignorant. Am I out of time? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth. I pray you'll cause this message to reach out and deal with people's hearts. Cause them to be recommit to you. And Sometimes we're like a bunch of scapegoats that came back into the camp. And our sin is seven times worse than it was before. I know that's true for me. Forgive me, Lord, where I failed you. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil in my own heart. We'll praise you for everything. Fight our battles. Open up many doors for this ministry in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I went a lot of directions. I didn't intend to go, but it was all good, wasn't it? It's all a part of this. It's not so hard Why would God give us a book that was too hard to understand?